All right, pleasure to have another one of our missionaries with us this morning. She's going to be sharing with us. Um, Naomi Jensen, who I used to know as Naomi Hamilton. Since I'm not that old, but I've known her since she was a little kid. <laughs> She's been uh, serving women and children in the Philippines her entire adult life, uh, first as a, a nurse midwife. And 13 years ago, um, she helped start Safe Refuge International, which protects women and children from extreme poverty, abuse, and human trafficking, uh, all in the name of Jesus. Um, Brian mentioned investing in the kingdom. I think we were part of the IPO of uh, Safe Refuge. Right? We were in on the ground floor on that one. Um, uh, the church has been with Safe Refuge since the beginning. So let's give a warm welcome to uh, Naomi Jensen. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, I'm just so blessed to get to be with you guys this morning. You as a body mean so much to me. As Bruce mentioned, from the very beginning of Safe Refuge, when I was a 21-year-old missionary, I went, actually, 17 years ago is when I first went to the Philippines. But you were a, a part of the beginning of Safe Refuge, and you're still faithfully supporting. I look forward to giving you a little bit of a glimpse of some of what that's looking like in the day-to-day -day now. As you know, seasons change and things change, but our God is so steadfast and faithful. He put um, a chapter on my heart to share with you this morning, and it's from the book of Hosea. And that book is very close to the heartbeat of the Ministry of Safe Refuge. And um, I haven't actually really ever delved into this particular book when I've shared with churches, but it's what he put on my heart to share this morning. So I'm just going to jump into it. It's the book of Hosea, chapter 11. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. This is the Lord's love for Israel. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me, offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck of slavery, and I myself stooped to feed him. But since my people refuse to return to me, they will return to Egypt and will be forced to serve Assyria. War will swirl through their cities. Their enemies will crash through their gates. They will destroy them, trapping them in their own evil plans. For my people are determined to desert me. They call me the Most High, but they don't truly honor me. Oh, how can I give up on you, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma or demolish you like Zeboim? My heart is torn within me, and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you, and I will not come to destroy. For someday... The people will follow me. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion. And when I roar, my people will return, trembling from the west, like a flock of birds. They will come from Egypt, trembling like doves. They will return from Assyria, and I will bring them home again, says the Lord. God, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you are a roaring God, Lord, and that you are doing so many things through this church in the whole world, Lord God. And I thank you for these minutes that we have together, Lord. I pray that you would just continue to speak, God, to speak to our hearts, say what you want to say, that we would obey and know and, and grow in our understanding of who you are as our God and understanding of who you made us to be. And I just thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So um, in Hosea, we have insight into the heart of our God, how he really feels, how he loves, how he roars, the hope that he brings to our wandering world. We see in God's relationship with Israel how faithlessness and disobedience brought so much heartbreak. It brings so much heartbreak today. But God invited Hosea to taste of his um, heartbreak as a part of his purpose, God's purpose for Hosea's life. Hosea's obedience to the call of God gives us a picture of God's faithful, redeeming love through it all. Jesus told stories, we know, as we read the New Testament, and, you know, all of us who have relationship with and grown up or spend time in the Word, you know that Jesus liked to tell stories, right, to help his disciples learn and to understand truths truths about who our God is, how we should live our lives, truths about living for eternity and not temporary pleasures of the things of the earth. In Hosea's day, we know that the Bible talks about how the people lived, they were idolaters and adulterers, they, forsake, they totally forgot about their covenant with the Lord, and they didn't want to follow God's ways. And I don't think that's too much different than what we're seeing in our world today. Yet, God was faithful. The picture of the extravagant love of God in our faithlessness is such a truth that just changes how we live our lives, and it inspires us to do things God's way. I know it does that for me, and I can I definitely see that in you guys as a body. This morning, as I said, I'm excited to share with you about what God's doing in the Philippines and the ministry there that I've been able, I was so honored to start 13 years ago, and I just look back in awe of what God's done through all of that. Um, and I also want to, I want to start by sharing a little bit of my story, because I'm, I'm so, I'm honored to get to share the stories of the girls, and I think every time I get to hear when I speak to a body, when I get to hear your stories and little bits of what God's done in your life, it encourages me, and it shows me new aspects of who our God is, and I think that's so important. When I was a little girl, I have notes just to kind of help guide me because I might go all over the place. When I was a little girl, my parents told me that God had a purpose and a plan for my life. Um, they taught me the truth from the Bible and gave me many opportunities to choose to obey or disobey and face the consequences. They had a lot of rules that my friends' parents didn't have. We did things different. Um, I always felt different, but I always felt loved, and I knew that I was loved. Um, I believed really strongly as a seven-year-old girl, that God had called me to the nations. I, I felt like I was called to help people find healing and to know Jesus. And that started when I was in church and I heard a missionary speak, and then I guess I started having dreams. My parents say I really, I do remember a lot of it. I remember being burdened, and they helped guide me through, okay, you can't go today to the nations as I want to do, but maybe next summer we'll take you on a missions trip. And, and they, they did that for me and helped guide me through that. And... Um, Really, they just so led me in the truth. And I was so raised in love and, and just such a different world than what I'm seeing in Safe Refuge, what I'm seeing in the Philippines, what I know is happening in our world today. God just planted me in a home of love. But when I was a teenager, I, my parents started to share a little bit more with me about their story. And they shared a little bit about their journey. And my parents, who seemed to always get everything right from what I could see, had had a pretty rough beginning. My mom, who was a pastor's daughter, comes from generations of... Um, women and pastors who just spoke out the word of God. She made some bad decisions in early years of college when she was very young, and my dad was not living for the Lord at all, didn't have a very godly examples at home, but he had made a lot of wrong decisions. So they were teenagers, very young. My dad was still in high school, and my mom got pregnant with me. And abortion had been made legal just a few years before. It would have been really easy to just 
make it all go away. And that was a lot of what the enemy was trying to, even through other people, to speak that to them. But my parents made the really tough decisions I'm so thankful for. And our decisions affect each of us in this room. The enemy wants to tell us that we can make our own decisions. It's your own life. But how much they affect each other is just so, it's eternal, the picture that it paints. But my mom had a dream. Like She actually saw my face as a little baby, bald baby. I was bald till I was like three. <laughs> And, and God told her that he had a purpose and a destiny for my life. And so she could not have an abortion. And they made tough decisions. And really, if you look at it, you would think, how could these teenagers ever make it? But they got married. They've been married for 39 years. And they've raised eight. I'm the oldest of eight <laughs> children. And all of us, I wish I could share with you all the adventures. And I know my dad sometimes does. But we all get to be in different parts of the world, some here in the States, but all over. And we, he raised us with a passion to share Jesus with the world the broken world, the world that, you know, that Jesus died to save. And it's just, there's nothing like being in the center of God's will. I mean, nothing compares to it. Now we, there's challenges, there's dark, dark days, but God's light just shines through it all, and he makes every challenge worth it. So I just wanted to share that part with you. I, um, since I, I started in my mother's womb, I'm probably going to have to skip some detail <laughs> because I'm not that young anymore, even if I was. Um, uh, Oh, I think there was something I wanted to share. Yeah, because I was talking about how that was an impossible situation, right, my parents. And God rescued me in my mother's womb. So it connects with what I get to do now as being a vessel of seeing people rescued and lives that God doesn't make any mistakes. There may be babies who are born out of horrible, awful things that, that you would think would be mistakes, but God redeems. He brings beauty from ashes. He turns mourning into dancing. That's who our God is. And there's a favorite song that the girls at Safe Refuge like to sing. There's a lot of them, and actually the beginning of Safe Refuge comes out of a, I think it's a Hillsong song about um, Almighty God, my hiding place, my safe refuge. There's also, of course, that's in the Psalms, but there's, that song is called All Things Are Possible. And when God put it on my heart to start Safe Refuge, that was what he was reminding me of, the people who just feel like there's just so many impossibilities that they're facing, especially women who at that time I'd been working in a busy birth center, delivering lots of babies, and sometimes we had women sleeping in our prenatal room. There was just no place for them to go that was safe. And so God was, help, was just reminding me, this is what I want you to do. I want you to introduce God, people to the God of the impossible. And there's a newer one now. I think Planet Shaker sings it, that's nothing is impossible. And our girls love, love to sing it. It's like, through you I can do all things. I can do anything because it's you who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible. Through you blind eyes are open. Strongholds are broken. Nothing is impossible. I'm living by faith. Nothing is impossible. And I just think that's so powerful. You can start the slide show today. I have just some pictures I want to show you. I mean, it actually took me, you can go to the next one. It actually took me a little while to even get to where, can you see it? Is the light kind of reflecting? Some, I know a lot of you guys have been on mission trips. You've seen poverty. They try to say that poverty in the U.S. is, there is poverty here, but it does not compare to what's going on in underdeveloped nations. But um, I, it took me a while to even be where I was okay with taking pictures because I just, you know, I never want to feel like I'm a tourist of that. But it also is such a bridge to connect. And we do live in a society where we need to see. We make decisions based on what we see. And we need to never forget. I have some of these pictures on the walls in my home when I'm in the U.S. Just that it's ever before me. That I know it seems like I could never forget because they're lives. They're not statistics. They're faces to me. But in the busyness of this world and this culture, sometimes I feel like it's harder to live for eternity living in the United States of America than it is where I can see it ever before me all the time but this is just so you can see where some of the girls you're gonna see these pictures of these beautiful smiling faces of people who've been transformed and redeemed and love Jesus and this is what they're coming from which they can love Jesus and be transformed in the middle of this extreme poverty of course they're just coming from such a lack of anything like basic human 
I don't know, we would say rights or needs, like to be loved, yes, food, provision, all those things, but that's what they're coming from. Yeah, the, and I, I sometimes get to share to, to young kids too, and I always like to show that, you know, we think houses involve bathrooms and beds. We kind of think that's a main thing about houses, but not, not in most of the world, actually. A huge percentage of the world, they don't have running water, they don't have plumbing, they don't have toilets, and that contributes to a lot of diseases, and one of the reasons why, of course, God called me to nursing and to use medicine as a tool, because our God cares about those physical needs. You can go to the next one. Yeah, of course. And the, what the pictures don't show is a lot of the overwhelming stench, which any of you have served in places of extreme poverty, you know that. It's because there's not adequate drainage. There's sewage everywhere. You do see that. And, and that's just something that is very overwhelming at times. But that this is very, I walked by this all the time, right near where I lived for 15 years. And a lot of our girls come right out of that. And there's huge amounts of people we live we are one of our homes is near one of the largest slums in the in the Philippines in the nation of the Philippines and I just put some of our verses because these are so so close to my heart and these are verses that I memorized as a little girl and now they take on a different meaning than I get to speak up I get to be a voice for those and it's just so so important and those of you who are raising children right now I can't emphasize that enough that your mission right now is so 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 important and just keep embracing that and going on with it okay you can go to the next one these are some statistics, and those of you, because you as a body have come behind me from the beginning, so a lot of you know all this already. When I've gotten to share, it's really, it's uh, something that I know you already care about and connect with, but these are just numbers, but when you think about, oh, it's a church service typically, 90 minutes, so how many, and math's not my thing, but we're talking 90 pregnant women by the time we get out of here, probably more, you know, that these are the realities of what's happening in our world, and we know that our God cares, and we know that, you know, life on earth is temporary, so we will win and lose those medical battles I have in my years serving, but getting to be, see, God uses these needs as a way to reach people for the kingdom. I've gotten to pray with people and see people come to know Jesus, and then sometimes the outcome medically doesn't turn out to be what we want, but we know that their soul is in eternity. We know that their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and those are, that's what it really matters in the big picture. We get to be a part of that. Um, you can go to the next one. Yeah, so uh, these, this little girl was one of our residents, and she gave birth to a healthy baby, and um, right, this is a number one cause of death for ch girls between the ages of 15 to 19. I just recently read that the Philippines is actually, and I had no idea about this because I think of places that are dangerous to be a woman. I don't think of the Philippines. I think of the Middle East, maybe some places in Africa. But, but actually because of the lack of, of health care and the number of little girls that are becoming pregnant and some violence against women and girls that's happening, it's become one of the most dangerous places to be a girl, to be a female. You can go to the next one. This little guy, some of you were a part of helping him get his surgery. Nino, when you're born with a birth defect in an underdeveloped nation, there's just not as much access to what you need. They, uh, you know, of course, you have to pay for every IV, every glove, everything has to be paid for. So when people are going in with extreme poverty, they don't even have the money to get to the hospital. They're not going to have the money to pay for the surgeries that are needed. Even though the doctors may not charge every medicine, everything. And the government hospitals are so overcrowded. So this little guy was two when we met him, actually, because his mom was at the market near our house. And our girls have open eyes to see the needs of the people around them. And someone said, Ateniomi, this little guy has obviously needs help. He's never had his surgery. So we took him to the hospital. We went through the process with them and helped him get his surgery. That one, he looks a little bit better in that one, but even now he looks much better. And we just got to see him last year and just really see that God is healing him. His family is, they're coming to know Lord, the Lord Jesus a little bit more every day through that. And God really did change what could have been his story. Go to the next one. 
Another little guy born with a birth defect, cleft lip, cleft palate. How, that's totally correctable here in the U.S., not making a difference in their overall lives. But in the Philippines and in underdeveloped nations, they're dying because they're not getting the nutrients that they need because they can't absorb nutrients as well. And then the overwhelming, well, we have five more children, so I'm not really going to focus on syringe feeding my one baby that needs that to be able to survive. So we were able to, be, to see a total change. You can see the next picture in this little guy. The next picture was right before we... We were able to reintegrate him and his mom to where they're on their own now, living strong and doing really well. Go to the next one. That's Lance. This little girl, she was seven when we met her, and she had such severe cleft lip, cleft palate. Her whole face it was all opened up. And we met her because her mom came to us as a, re as a resident in a severe, horrible situation. And she told us about her daughter living in the province in an area that was really run by the militant Islamic Liberation Front. So God gave grace for our staff to warrior women who just went in there and got them out and brought them brought the little girl clarissa out we were able to get her her surgery you can i don't think that's the greatest angle but she got her surgery her palate and her lip were repaired so now she can talk like she was seven but she never went to school she never really could even walk because she wasn't getting the right nutrients to be able to walk strongly so she's learning she can she can walk now but it was a road but and then and she's now um, in the province with her mom. But you guys were a part of that, definitely. I remember at the time asking for help, and you guys did. And, and just God multiplies every little bit. Go to the next one. Some more numbers. And so these are all things that you guys, are, most of you are aware of. But I just think these are sobering realities in our world today that our God cares so, so much about. He cares, and he's using us, and I'm just honored to get to be able to be used, to be in this with people. But they're not abstract. These are faces. These are lives that are being affected by this. You can go on to the next one. I'm not going to read each of these. I want to tell Ruby's story. This is the fun part. Ruby, she is one of our current residents at Safe Refuge. Actually, she's about to be. She just graduated from college, and she's standing on her own now so much. But she's the youngest of 10 children. She was born into extreme poverty, but until her parents died, she really did feel loved. She wasn't, you know, we see different things from different stories, but she felt loved, but her dad died of a heat stroke when she was 12 years old, and then her mom died only a year later from some other health complications, probably related to not having the medicine that she needed when she got sick. So Ruby was left alone, and as the youngest of 10, you would think she would have people to take care of her, but her siblings were all out, went into all over the parts of the nation to try to get jobs and kind of busy with their own worlds, and they would occasionally send her money, but she was literally alone. She was like going from neighbor to neighbor, having just enough money for food, and she just felt such a deep sorrow because of her parents' death, and she didn't know what to do with that or where to go with that. And traffickers used a tool that's not foreign to any of us in this room, Facebook, actually, to reach her, to get a hold of her, people she didn't even know. And she took what she thought was a job in the capital, and she, she boarded a, a ship, and her life was never the same. She ended up in a situation that was totally not what she thought it was going to be. She was entrapped. She was enslaved. And after less than a year, she describes that. I'm going to skip a lot of the details for sensitivity's sake. But she describes a night where she just asked God, if you are real, Lord, get me out of here. And within less than 24 hours, the doors were literally kicked in as a team from um, a partner ministry that we work with, International Justice Mission. Some of you are familiar with them. They do a lot of the actual rescuing, um, the prosecuting of the perpetrators, and then we do the aftercare. They don't do aftercare, so we connect with them. So they rescued Ruby. And originally, they put her in a government shelter because that's the system. But the government shelter felt like jail to her. They were fed in their beds. And she had just, she gave birth to a newborn, and she wasn't, she had 
she felt afraid of being assaulted every day, and that's the stories that we hear. They still live in fear of being assaulted in the government shelter. But because she had a newborn, it was a tool for, okay, we're going to move her out of the government shelter, who kind of takes a territorial, we want the money from, we don't take money from any, and that we don't get any money for any of the girls that come to us. It's just not the system. But the government shelters do. And so they sometimes really want those girls, but they're not taking care of them, and there's a little bit of conflict of interest with why they want them. And so, but that she was two mouths to feed and a lot of work, so they brought her to us. And when she came to Safe Refuge, she encountered love. She met family for the first time. And I didn't, I didn't share the picture. That's sort of the beginning, but not the very beginning of her time with us. Um, but I just love seeing when God transforms lives. You can literally see it on their countenance. When they've come to encounter who God is and know that he cares about them, he cares about their life. And in Ruby's case, it gave her the strength to face her traffickers, which is something, one of the reasons why we're in this, stuck in this cycle is that a lot of the victims do not have the courage to face their traffickers. They've believed lies about them their entire lives. They believe, I'm garbage, I'm trash, I'm worthless. And when they believe that, how can they possibly stand up and face their attackers, their traffickers in court. But when God changes them, this is, and this is why we're getting to see more and more rescued girls that are supposed to be in the government shelters, they're putting them right into safe refuge because it's totally different outcomes. We're seeing girls who are willing to face their traffickers in court. And in Ruby's case, her testimony resulted in the conviction of three different traffickers and two got lifetime sentences, which is just amazing because it's a lot less, there are, you know, less children that are going to be. We've actually seen the statistics in the area where she was, the children that were being exploited with one particular industry, it's, they have like, they're down, it's a quarter of what was happening five, six years ago, which is really amazing because so many, they're scared now. <laughs> oh, the victims are testifying. And so it's, it's happening. The, the fight, we're winning the fight little by little. And then uh, uh, just a few months ago, she graduated from college. So that was that picture of her graduating from college with her little girl who was just such a joy. And actually, Andy and I got to be with her in D.C., I think last, last year I was about to go, and I might have mentioned that, but she shared in front of thousands of people, she shared her story. I like one of her things that she says. She talks about how, I am a living testimony of God's love. We have a great God who is able to turn each of our painful stories into powerful testimonies. I am also here to tell you that even if we choose to take a wrong path in the past, God is still willing to fulfill his purpose in our life. I was able to make it, and I believe that you can do it. I love when she shares that because she's challenging people and encouraging people. And that's something that matters to us at SAFE. We always try to, yes, they need to grab it for themselves, but they also focus on who can we give, you know, disciples who make disciples. How can I bless someone else? How can I? And you'll see that in a few more pictures. You can go to the next one. This is Noelle. She was also trapped and rescued from a brothel. Um, Noelle was not like Ruby. She didn't grow up in a family where she was loved. She never knew her mom and dad together. She was actually the daughter of a prostitute, which we see a lot of that, cycles and generations of it. She was sold as long as she can remember when she was a little girl. So it was normal to her. And so a lot of that, it takes a long time to break some of those cycles. But last year she came to know Jesus and she got baptized and she's just, we're just watching her every day learn more about who God made her to be and who she is. And it's just beautiful to see as she walks out. She also testified against her traffickers a few months ago. And just a few weeks ago, we heard that it resulted in the conviction of a trafficker. So it's just amazing. Just so good to see. Go to the next one. I'm trying to get through these. We get to see, and I'll probably talk about that in a few minutes if you still want to hear from me again <laughs> during the luncheon, but just a little bit. But we get to put them in, um, just see their lives change. One thing is through education. And so we've had seven girls graduate from college in our 13 years. And it's a long road because a lot of times they haven't gotten to go to school. So we're talking, you know, we're putting them through the elementary and then high school and then going through that with them. But we've gotten to see seven graduate from college, and it changes the way they see themselves, and it's just amazing to get to see. 
can go to the next one. This is a missions trip every summer, which in the summer in the Philippines is in April, so you can be praying for them. Um, we send as many girls as we possibly can to um, an unreached group. I mean, it's far, far up in the tribe. So a lot of these girls were born into extreme poverty in the slums. Some of them were in, in provinces in traffic to Manila. But now they're in a place that is not, they don't have electricity or running water, and they're not as exposed to what you see in the urban. It's different levels of poverty, different things. And they get to go in, and they teach the little kids. They make food for them, and they just get to shine the light of Jesus. And it's just a great thing for them, and it's also a bridge that they get to see. And it's so just, it's living out the word of God, right? It's what matters. It's what we're doing. So you can go to the next one. Yeah, this is, I just wanted you to see a little bit of the day-to-day -day life. We love to worship. You see the little hearts loving to worship. That's just more, whenever we can, every day we try to have some worship time. And then they're just digging into their Bibles and understanding the Word of God. Of course, we have it in their languages, their heart languages, which is so important. I so appreciate what Wycliffe does and the people that translate because it's so important. And they get to just read, read the Word in their language. You can go to the next one. I'm going to wrap it up. I love this. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing Psalm 68.6. That's Andrew in his first trip there. <laughs> Everybody loved him. And he loved, and the, the family that's connected, even, uh, even the girls love to pray for you guys and, and before they go to bed and when they sit down to the meals because they feel that connect, which is only the kingdom of God, right? They know that you're praying for them. They know that they're safe today because you guys gave, because you stood behind, because you said their lives matter. I think this is towards the end. Yeah, is that... Another favorite verse, and I love it when one of our little girls, now she's actually, she was five when she came into Safe Refuge, and she's going to be 18 this year, which is just shocking to me. But when she was six or seven and missing all of her front teeth, she would say this, that she would do the part about God delight, rescued me because he delighted in me. And it could just do something to my spirit. Like, yes, that is who my God is. So you can go to the next one. And here's some of them at our 10th year anniversary a couple years ago, just jumping in. They love those overcomer, nurturer, just new identities, right? This is who I am. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, things like that. Uh, these are, that's one of the ones I just mentioned, uh, Joy, and then her little sister, Jasmine. Their story has been, is long, and I won't get into it, but it's been beautiful to journey with them. And this year, the older one turns 18, and they're... I just, I, God talks to me when I get to spend time with them and hear them and hear them and their growth and their passion for the Lord and dreaming about what it is God has called me to. It's just beautiful to see. Okay, I'll update you and during the lunch a little bit more about what's happening. But most of you know that, the, well, a lot of you might know that our home, one of our homes was really affected by the volcano. So we're currently evacuated. I'll tell you more about that. But we're getting to see a literal up from the ashes, hope will arise. Beauty from ashes, we're literal ashes covering our swings and our makeup. But God has provided abundantly. He's taking care of us, and I'll share more about that with you later. Yep, this is a bunch of us together. It was kind of blurry, hard to <laughs> cover everybody. I would encourage you to go to our website, and I'll give you more information, but it's uh, Safe Refuge International. If you haven't gone, there's videos. You can look on our Facebook page and see daily updates of what God is doing and the people there. You can go to the next one. Yep. That's just sweet. I'm just so thankful. I can't even begin to describe how thankful I am for you, for Pastor Brian, for Kit, your encouragement when you text me. And I, what, how can I be praying for you? And I know that you are praying, that it's not just words. You guys care and you connect and it's powerful. And I just thank you. I thank you so much for that and for what you're doing in the kingdom. Can I just pray one more time as we close this out? God, we just thank you, Lord, that you are with us. God, I thank you for what you're doing through this body, Lord, that you are doing mighty things through their sending capacity, Lord God. And I thank you, God, for just the reminders of who you are that you've brought to our minds today through the lives of these amazing women in the Philippines, God, and that 
you have just spoken words of truth. I pray that they echo in our hearts, Lord, that you would let things take root. Whatever you're saying to us, whatever things we need to grab a hold of, Lord, that you would just help us do that, God, that you are the perfecter of our faith, Lord. In every area that my brothers and sisters may be challenged to step out today, I pray that you would give them that strength, God, knowing that you are faithful, that you are the God of the impossible. Nothing is impossible with you, Lord. And we just thank you for all that you are doing, God, and we just applaud your work in Jesus' name. Amen.